Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. I'm going to be reading momentarily from Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through uh, 23. I'm glad to be back with you. I'm sorry I was out for two Sundays. I've never, in 30 years of ministry, never been out. Two straight Sundays, sick. Uh, had some gook. The doctor diagnosed it as gook. I went to see him uh, after I'd had it a week. He said, you have gook. And that's what all the blood tests and everything said. And so he prescribed for me some pretty high-powered uh, antibiotics. And I went through those antibiotics and was worse at the end of the antibiotics than I was before I started. So I went back to him. And I said, I'm worse. And he said, well, uh, maybe we need to prescribe a higher-powered antibiotic. And I said, I'm not overcoming this thing the way I normally did. And he said, well, you're not as young as you used to be. <laughs> so I'm looking for a new doctor. <laughs> and uh, so if you have any suggestions of a good doctor, I'm looking for a new doctor. I'm tired of my old doctor. And so I uh, won't be going back to him. I, the moment I started getting better, though, Amanda, who was tired of putting up with me, because basically I'm a kid when I'm sick. I'm worse than a kid, actually. And uh, she threatened me by threatening to call Gary Wright to come over in one of his old, he calls them wife beater tank top T-shirts, to sit with me. And uh, I started feeling better the moment she said it. Uh, not that he would come over, but to keep him from coming over. Uh, but I still uh, had the gook, had it for two and a half uh, weeks. And finally, after two rounds of antibiotics that didn't seem to do a whole lot, I decided to visit a Pentecostal revival. And I uh, went up for prayer and they laid hands on me and anointed me with, with uh, dill pickles. And I just immediately, just immediately. Uh, that's not true. I don't want y'all to look at me like uh, some of you are. Some of you look at me like, really? God. No, uh, although I did tell uh, Fred Kearns that, those of you who know Freddie, I told Fred that I did that, and he said, well, you should have gone there to start with. <laughs> so, you know. All right. This morning we're continuing a series called The Best Life, and the whole focus of this series is to look at the life of Jesus through the lens of the Gospel of Luke in order to glean from the life of Jesus some things that we can apply to our own lives so that we can experience the very best life we possibly can. Jesus lived the best life. And since he lived the best life, uh, we can look at his life for ways to improve our lives so that we can have not just a better life, but the best life. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven came saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Well, it's the, it's the 13th of January. By now, most New Year's resolutions have gone by 
the wayside already. They don't usually last very long. The top ones last three months. 90% of them are gone by January the 12th. This is the 13th. Yours is gone, more than likely. I kind of agree with Brian Doyle. By the way, I have decided, looking back and after listening to the sermons by Brian Doyle and Trevor Hamaker and Doug Banks, uh, who filled in for me, thankfully, during my absence, I needed to be out so you could hear what they had to say. Because what they said was powerful. If you weren't here to hear those sermons, go to our website and download them and listen to them. Our church needs to hear what they said. And I'm grateful for what God sent through them. Brian Doyle said in his sermon that he didn't believe in New Year's resolutions. I'm with him on that, mainly because we don't usually keep them. Now, if we knew we were going to keep them, it might be a different thing. But the fact that we don't like New Year's resolutions shouldn't deter us from wanting the very best life we can and wanting to do whatever we can in a new year to make the best life. Now, some of you may be like I am from time to time, and you've already decided that where you are, either at your age or your background or or some of the things you're dealing with in life, you're thinking you can't possibly have a best life this year. You can't possibly teach an old dog new tricks. Well, that is not the truth, and I know that for a fact. There's a show, you may have seen it, called Mythbusters. Mythbusters is a show that is designed to take old adages that people have long believed and put them to a scientific test to see if they'll work and to either affirm them or to uh, disprove them. And they took the old adage, an old, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, and they found two seven-and-a-half-year-old Alaskan Malamute dogs who knew no tricks, no tricks whatsoever. Now, I don't know if you know anything about an Alaskan Malamute, but, but uh, they are among the most stubborn dogs. Almost as stubborn as Baptist dogs, but Alaskan Malamute is very stubborn dog. So if, if ever there was a, a chance to prove that you can't teach an old, dog's new, an old dog new tricks, certainly that would be the case with these Alaskan Malamutes. But there were some trainers who took these two dogs who... By the way, according to human years, would be over 50 years old. Now, in my opinion, that does not make them uh, old dogs. However, I realize that some of you, many of you, ungodly people among you would disagree with me on that and say that 50 and above is an old dog that needs new tricks. They would classify as over 50 years old. The trainer spent three days with them and when they were through with them after three days, each of those two dogs could heal They could sit, they could lie down, they could stay, and they could shake hands upon command. You can teach an old dog new tricks. So no matter where you are in your life, it's possible, if you want to, to make a better life for yourself this year. God will give you the grace and he'll give you his spirit and he'll give you his power to do just that. It is up to you. You will decide whether or not this year is going to be a better year for you. And some of us, some of us need a, we need a better year. Some of us need a better year. 
In this passage of Scripture, which is uh, three short verses dealing, or two short, three short verses dealing with Jesus' baptism. The gospel writers, all of them record his baptism. Luke is a little bit different, and we'll see that in just a moment. But from this passage, I want us to see some of the things that we can uh, apply to our lives that hopefully will help us to have the best life we can have in 2013. Some things to get right in the new year. The first thing I want you to see is this. Determine to do what is right regardless of what anybody else thinks about it. Determine to do what is right. Now let me tell you, sometimes doing what is right is popular and therefore easy. If doing what is right is easy, it normally is not a problem for us. But it becomes difficult when doing what is right goes against the grain of almost everybody you know, especially your friends. Listen, determine to do what is right regardless of what anybody else thinks about it this year. Now, where do we get that in this passage of Scripture? Let me ask you this question. Why on earth did Jesus get baptized? He comes to John. Now, Luke doesn't tell this. The other gospel writers tell us that Jesus comes to the Jordan to be baptized of John. And John has an argument with Jesus that Luke doesn't tell us about. John says, you're coming to be for me to be baptizing you and I, you, you need to be baptizing me. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus said this. He says, he says, you need to do this because in doing so, it fulfills all righteousness. Now, Jesus was sinless. John's baptism, which is unlike our baptism, by the way, it was a baptism of repentance in preparation for the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. And so people who came to John to be baptized, they were being baptized as a sign that they were turning from their old life of sin to God in preparation for the coming of the Son of God. And so here Jesus is to be baptized. He's sinless. Nobody has ever, except for Jesus, lived a sinlessly perfect life. But Jesus did. He's the last person who needed to be baptized, and yet he comes and insists on being baptized. Now, at first glance, uh, it seems like a, a, an irrelevant thing for him to do, a, a thing that has absolutely no purpose whatsoever. We could say that Jesus came to give us an example. We believe that, but the baptism that he partook of was not the same baptism that we partake of. And so there's a little bit of a conflict there over whether or not this is an example that he gives us. Certainly it is an example, but it's, it, there's a little bit of a conflict there. We could say that in, in being baptized, he identified with people, and certainly that's part of it. We could say that, that he was baptized so it could be recorded in Scripture for all generations future to be able to read and benefit from, certainly. But I think we need to just take what Jesus said, what Jesus told John the baptizer. He said, we need to do this. You need to baptize me because it fulfills all righteousness. Let me put that another way. John, you need to do it because this is the right thing to do. Now, anybody who knew Jesus, which I doubt there were, there were many people who recognized him for who he was, the Son of God, the perfect God in flesh there on the Jordan River, Sure, I doubt they recognized him, but if they did, certainly they would have had to question why on earth he would be baptized. And the answer is, he was baptized not because he needed to, not because he necessarily wanted it recorded, although it was, but because it was the right thing to do. If you want the best life you can have this year, 
then determined to do what is right no matter what anybody else thinks about it. You can never go wrong when you always do the right thing. The second thing that I want us to see in this passage that deals with, uh, that we can apply to, to have a best life is this. Not only determine to do what is right no matter what people think about it, but second, connect with people. Connect with people. Now, I'll tell you, we, we have become a very, uh, we've always, we, Americans have always believed in individualism. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The problem is, when we take that individualism, we carry it to extremes, and we never want to be around anybody else. <clears throat> we don't want to tolerate anybody else that long. Uh, it's all we can do to tolerate ourselves and our spouses that long. It's all we can do to tolerate our kids sometimes that long. And so more and more we have opted to be alone. But listen, listen to this very carefully. It is impossible for you to experience your best life in isolation from other people. Absolutely impossible. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger best life. You can't do it. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. I love that opening verse. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. That's an awesome statement. Just just let that sink in. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Jesus did what the people were doing. Jesus, who didn't need to be baptized, came, he descended and came down to the level of the people who did need to be baptized, and he connected with people. This would not be the last time that he would do this. The Bible says, especially in Luke, that over and over again, he was labeled as a friend of, of sinners. It was not a compliment. It was not a complimentary statement. The people were making fun of Jesus for being a, quote, friend of sinners. If he were truly the son of God, he would not be a friend of sinners. And Jesus, over and over again, had to tell the religious leaders, look, those who are sick are the ones who need a physician, not those who are well. And I'm hanging out with the sick folks. Sick in sin. He was a friend of sinners. I see uh, more and more churches who, who try to uh, develop social networks that only include other Christians. That's a mistake, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't desire to connect with other Christians. Definitely we do. That's part of what church is about. But if you isolate yourself to only having Christians as friends, Christians in your social network, then you and I are missing out on the very core of the greatest commandment Jesus ever gave, which is to reach out to the lost, that would be unsaved, that would be unchurched, and make disciples of them. Do you have any friends in your network who are lost? Get some. Get some. 
That's the best evangelism anyway, is friendship evangelism, where you, you become friends with people and you develop a trust with those people and they trust you and you trust them. And pretty soon they see in you something that they want to uh, be a part of. And if that, that part that they want to be a part of is church, they'll come to church and be with you there and be with other people that you're with there. And they'll hear the gospel and they'll hear the study of the Bible. And what will happen is they'll come to know Christ. That's the best form of evangelism we can have. Connect with people. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is John chapter 21. It's the last chapter of John. You remember it because it's after the resurrection. The disciples have decided they're giving up on this, uh, this uh, following Jesus stuff. And they're going fishing. They're going back to their old occupation. It's always the temptation to go back to where you were. Go back to their old occupation. They're out there fishing, and all of a sudden Jesus appears on the shore, and he tells them, he says, have you caught any fish? And they said, no, they don't recognize him. And he said, take your net and throw it on the other side. And reluctantly, they do that. And John says that they, they hauled in such a batch of fish, and he even counted them, 153 fish. That had to be an exact number. That's not a round number, is it? That's not around 160 or around 150. It's 153. We counted them. Boom. They bring them back to the shore, and they have breakfast. And following that breakfast, there is this very tense conversation between Jesus and Peter. You remember the conversation. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him this third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He says, tend my sheep. Now, what we don't see in English, and some folks say don't make that big of a deal of this, but I think it is a big deal, is this. The Greek words, the Greek verbs for love in Jesus' questions and Peter's answers are different. The highest form of love is agape love. That's God's love for us. It is intense love. You can have that kind of love for something evil. But it's meant to be the kind of love God has for us and the most intense love that we can have for, for anything or anyone, agape. Then there is phileo, which is brotherly love. It's kind of a friendship love. And then there's eros, which is passionate sexual love. Here's, here's the way the actual conversation goes. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Feed my sheep. Second question, Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Jesus, third question. Pay attention. Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved when Jesus asked it a third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Oh. Do you hear what Jesus did? He started out with agape. Peter could only come up to phileo. You see, it used to be that Peter said, oh, yeah, I got pay you. 
I'll agape you all the way to death. He was real arrogant and proud. But that Peter's gone. He's a lot more realistic and honest now. Lord, you know that I phileo you. He couldn't even say agape. Do you agape me, Lord? You know I phileo. And then the third time Jesus said, Simon Peter, do you phileo me? You see, Jesus came down to his level. He didn't compromise with evil. That's not what I'm talking about, Jesus coming down. If Jesus doesn't come down to your level, my friend, you are forever lost. Jesus is willing to come down to your level to connect with you. And by, by application, you and I should be willing not to compromise with evil to come down and connect with people, but come, come to people's level because in, in actuality, we're not above them anyway. We're all on the same level and therefore we need to connect with people if we want the very best life. Third, if you want the best life you can have, develop a habit of prayer. Develop a habit of prayer. Now let me give you a caution here. I'm just going to be real with you. Do not measure your prayer life based upon the answers you get that you want to get. Why, Jimmy? Because you will be disappointed. Because there will be a lot of times, maybe not as many times as you think, but you will think it's a lot of times if you're the one doing the praying. There will be a lot of things you will pray for and God will not give you what you ask for. Or he will give you what you ask for, but it won't be in the way you want. And because it's not in the way you want, it won't be satisfactory to you if you're really honest with God and honest with other people about it. You see, most of us are not honest really when it comes to God. When God disappoints us with a different answer or a no answer, quite frankly, uh, we, we, we want to, uh, if we're longtime Christians, we want to jump to defense of God. Well, God is all powerful. Yeah, and he is, and he is, and he has the right to answer any way he wants to. My point is this, develop a habit of prayer, but do not develop a habit of prayer measured by how many of your prayers get answered the way you want them answered. Develop a habit of prayer because it enriches your life. And it will. Whether you get what you want or not, prayer will enrich and enhance your life. Luke is, is focusing. He's focused in on prayer, and he, and he shows Jesus praying at pivotal points. In fact, right here in this passage, the Bible says that when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, this guy's praying while he's being baptized. I've never seen that happen before. Never seen anybody praying while they get baptized. Jesus, Luke says, is praying while he is being baptized. And here's what, here's what he also tells us throughout. Jesus is praying at many other points in his life. Before he chooses the 12 apostles, he prays all night long. At Peter's confession, the Bible says that Jesus is praying. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted, the Bible says that he was praying. The Bible says that there were several times when he spent whole nights in prayer. The Bible says that in Gethsemane, he was praying. The Bible says that when he was on the cross, he was praying. Jesus shows Jesus... Uh, Luke shows Jesus as a man of prayer. He had a habit of prayer. 
pray. Not for the answers, for the enrichment. Pray for the enrichment. If you're praying for the answers, you're going to give up on prayer. You're going to say, what the heck? No point in doing that. Now, you'll get answers. And sometimes you'll get what you want. But don't pray for the answers. Number four, watch for the movement of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that as Jesus was being baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. Now, I mentioned to you that Luke focuses on prayer throughout his gospel. He also focuses on the Holy Spirit. He's big on the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth, Mary's uh, cousin, is, is clothed with the Holy Spirit. She's pregnant with John. And not only is she clothed with the Holy Spirit, but the Bible says that John, who's in her womb, leaps because he too is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's in Luke. In Luke chapter 2, there was a man named Simeon at the temple who was led to the temple by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit told him he would not die before he saw the Messiah child. The Bible says in Luke chapter 3, John says, I'll baptize you with water, but there is one more powerful than I coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and left the Jordan and led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4 again, he returned to Galilee after the temptation in the power of the Spirit, Luke says. Luke chapter 10, at that time full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus was someone who was in tune with the Holy Spirit. If you want the best life, be keenly in tune and aware of the movement of God's Holy Spirit. It's not emotionalism, it's his spirit. And that spirit will lead you in ways that will surprise you and excite you and give you the very best life. Number five, this is lined up with watching the movement of the Holy Spirit. Get, in, get on good terms with God. Get on good terms with God. Verse 21 and 22 tell us that when Jesus was baptized, as he was praying, Heaven opened up and there was a voice that spoke after the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And the voice that spoke said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Bible says that Jesus constantly was in tune with God. Listen, if you want the best life you can have, this goes without saying in a Christian church, but it's the truth. You must set God front and center in your life. Get in tune with God. And then finally, be generous with your compliments. Do you imagine what that must have been like when Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened up, and Jesus, divine God Father said, You are my boy. I am proud, so proud of you. God complimented Jesus. This is the intimate voice of a proud and loving heavenly father who is delighted with his son. In this way, it is the same spirit as the story of Matthew where Joseph takes the baby in his arms and calls his name Jesus. That's the spirit here in this text. It is the spirit of a father looking at his son, telling him, I love you. I'm really proud of you. 
God was a God who is generous with his compliments. Jesus' life is filled with generosity with his compliments. I had a funeral yesterday up in Dawsonville, Georgia. Katie Garrett. Katie was 93 years and eight and a half months old. I've known her half my life. I've known her about 27 years. I met her and she was crippled when I met her. I never knew her when she wasn't crippled. I was her pastor for 11 years. I made about 100 visits with Katie Garrett, and I would go to her house, and I would knock on the door, and I'd have to knock on it about twice, and finally I would hear this sweet, gentle, soft voice saying, I'm coming, I'm coming. And she would have to work her way up on these crutches. Her legs were totally paralyzed. And she, with these crutches, would slowly drag herself. Sometimes it would take five to ten minutes for her to get to the door. For that reason, I often felt guilty visiting her, and yet I needed to visit with her. She would open the door, and I'd go in and sit down. And this was, bar none, the sweetest woman I've ever met in my life. Never met a woman or man any sweeter than this woman, and I've known a lot of sweet people. She had every reason to complain and never did. In those 100 visits I had with her that lasted somewhere around 30 minutes to an hour on average, she never complained. She was always faithful. Anytime I got up to leave, she always wanted prayer. She always was concerned about her kids. And our church had a tape ministry where she would be given the cassette tapes. This was back in cassette tape days. And she would take a cassette tape every week of the entire worship service and she listened to it religiously. She could give me back the points to the messages. And I never left without her being encouraging and complimentary. And so when I got the call earlier this week that she had passed away, and I'm so thankful because last summer I preached a camp meeting revival and I heard she was in a nursing center and one afternoon when I was free, I drove down to the nursing center just to see her. And she said, I'm not going to be here very long, Brother Jimmy. She always called me Brother Jimmy. Brother Jimmy. You're going to get a call, Brother Jimmy. Preachers get a lot of great honors when they're asked to speak at the memorial services of people. And I had one of the greatest honors I'll ever have yesterday speaking over her. I know that not that there's not a human being outside of Jesus who's perfect. I know that. I know that for a fact. That's my core belief. But if somebody were to ask me, what's the closest person to perfect you've ever met? It was Katie Garrett. And there were six of us preachers who spoke at the funeral. Now, that's too many. (laughs) One preacher can be too many. I know that. I know. Six is too many, but she was something else. I want to leave you with this. Luke does us something very unusual. Let me ask you this question. You just tell me. Who baptized Jesus? Tell me. Three of you said John the Baptist. Here's what Luke says. Luke opens up this chapter, talking about John baptizing all these people. And then he says, then he says in 
verse 19. This is after John is baptizing people. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he'd done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Now that's verse 20. And then verse 21 says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. That's, we know that. But if all we had was the gospel of Luke, if that's all we had, we would not know who baptized Jesus. Why did Luke do that? Why did Luke do that? I think the reason is this. Because Luke wanted to write in such a way that the emphasis went off of John the Baptist and went on to Jesus. Do you want the best life you can have? Do you want the best life you can have? Then then get this. Of all that I've said today, get this. It's all about Jesus. Center him in your life. That's where you begin Receive Him as your Savior. Follow Him as your Lord. Emulate what He did in your life, and you can have the best life. It's about Him. Not about John. It's not about so-and-so. It's about Him. Is your life about Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the way you connect with us, the way you love us, the way you prayed, the way you did so many wonderful things. But Lord, above all, we know that that this whole thing is about centering our lives on you. It's about knowing you as a personal Savior. And Lord, there, there perhaps is someone here who needs to invite you to be their Savior and Lord. Maybe there's someone here who needs to join this church. Maybe there's someone here who needs to be baptized. Maybe there's someone here who has some other concern that they want to just bring to you. And Lord, I pray that whether it's someone coming to this altar or coming up front to join the church or if it's taking one of our response cards and just filling it out and turning it in later, I want to be saved or I want to be baptized or I want to join the church or I've got a prayer concern. Lord, change somebody's life this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.